1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Welcome to another edition of Inside Carolina's Game Plan Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. jason staples at the beginning since we did not have an on the beat live on tuesday i wanted to make sure to get one of the beat writers in here and and uh, i chose jeremiah oh seriously adam is is uh with family doing family things tonight so uh the three of us of course greg as always jeremiah let me get you in here first um it's been an interesting week for north carolina football um, starting with what happened last Saturday, but then also Monday with the press conferences? I mean, you hadn't been around a ton of North Carolina football games as an inside Carolina beat writer and inside Carolina press conferences, but what was your overall take looking back to Monday and then uh, Tuesday with the players and then Wednesday with Charlton Warren and a couple players? It felt like there was a lot of mea culpa, my bad going on this week from the coaches especially um or is it is that what we saw or is that just my read on it or what do you think on what you've seen this week from from UNC
3: yeah I guess Dabo I mean not Dabo Mac pulled a Dabo somewhat that first uh on Monday when he was like for two drives away from being undefeated or whatever he said uh and you know Dabo Swinney had said something similar um yeah just kind of listening to them on Monday um you know, you're coming off two straight losses, two straight upset losses. Uh, and honestly, uh, you know, we're asking them questions of what's going wrong, particularly with the run defense, like what's been different. And I don't know that we got a great surefire answer necessarily from them asking both players and coaches like, you know, what the App state game was not great uh, from a running standpoint. But other than that, you would start it out six and oh. Uh, but I think the defense had glaringly had a fall off from those first six games uh into the last two games. And honestly, it's not, you know, the questions that we got. I don't know that we had, you know, great answers or clarification from that. Um, Obviously, we can draw our own conclusions just kind of uh, just kind of looking at it. But, um yeah, I think. You know, those first two. And honestly, I think another thing that I thought was uh, kind of interesting, uh, you know, Matt Brown on Monday, you know, kind of some of the questions specifically about the the defense and why I was in the nickel and things like that. Just like totally, you know, deferring to Gene Chizik on that and like, you know, really kind of breaking that down. So, um, you know, and then obviously Gene Chizik, he gave his uh uh Uh, his reasoning as well and you know pretty much explaining you know a lot of the times they like to go nickel or they like to have the nickel package or and and you know kind of kind of mix things up um so that's some of the takeaways that that we got and i guess as far as the players you know they're trying to you know take in like what happened uh for themselves over the last two weeks when i look at the last two weeks though it's like i thought the virginia game was a total meltdown like i thought Offense, defense, special teams just totally melted down altogether. Um, and then I thought the Georgia Tech game, it was like the offense. I mean, you played about as good, as, good of a game as you could have played, particularly for, you know, three and a half quarters. Um, you know, and I mean, you scored 42 points, obviously, for most cases, that should be enough to win. And it had been uh, up to this point. But, um, yeah, I will say just kind of wrap this up. Winning can mask a lot of things. North Carolina was never a perfect football team. I know they got in the top 10, but they were never a perfect football team. Um, I think they were able to kind of mask some of these things, um, you know, through winning. But now I think Campbell, listen, I mean, that should be, you know, kind of the the bounce back just to get back into the win column. But I mean, ultimately, what's really going to matter is if you can do it, if you can bounce back against an ACC opponent. Uh, it'll be a while before we get to really see them do that. But I mean... Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of regrouping kind of needs to be done. I think that was reflected a little bit in what they were what they were saying.
2: Greg, you've watched a lot of press conferences over your years doing this stuff. Uh, have you ever seen a head coach defer to a coordinator? or, or te- I mean, Max said it repeatedly. Uh, and In fact, he said it, and I don't necessarily disagree with him at all, but in fact, he said, if I answer these questions, what's the point in having these guys come out here and talk to you? I don't, I don't think I've heard that aspect of it, but uh, Mac said, Gene can get out here and talk about it. Gene can tell you about it or whatever. I thought that was an interesting part of it because he's all he's always answered those questions and then said, but, you know, they can explain it further or whatever. But he had nothing to say about what that defense did on Saturday. That's the change to me, at least from last year especially.
1: Yeah, we've heard a little bit of that from, from Mac over the years. You know, not to the extent of what Monday was, uh, but he's right. I mean, the the whole intent is to be able to get the the coordinators to offer their insight and explanation as to why their teams did what they did the previous game, and then also looking ahead. Uh, so I understand Mac doing it with the outcome of Saturday night. Uh, yes, it, I think it piqued more people's ears. Um, in terms of him making such a big deal about it on Monday, but we, we know Larry Fedora used to say that quite a bit. Um, you know, when Gene was here the first time, Larry was like, I don't even go in the defensive meeting rooms. Um, <laughs> so, so Max, not to that extent, but it's you know, different strokes for different folks, and I didn't have an issue with it. Um, I, I think Gene, look, the guy's won two national championships, he won a national championship as a head coach at Auburn, uh, he should be able to. Uh, answer questions and provide valuable feedback without reporters necessarily having to ask. I think that's kind of the key thing for me is, yes, reporters' jobs for sure to ask the important questions. But after a performance like what we saw in the fourth quarter on Saturday night, uh, you would hope that Gene Chiswick would walk to the podium and say, hey, look, uh, that was almost as bad, maybe as bad as the App State fourth quarter last year. This is what happened uh this is what we're going to do to fix it so that's yeah. not a problem again
2: and jeremiah i don't know if i heard that i did hear him say something to the effect and i don't want to misquote anybody so i'll paraphrase i guarantee it won't happen again you know he basically said that and against campbell it's not going to happen if campbell comes out and scores 21 points uh, against carolina on saturday i don't care if it's against the walk-ons that that is a serious problem but Um, Your takeaway, Jeremiah, from Chiswick owning it like he owned Virginia, but owned it a little bit even more and even sort of said, this is – I guarantee you we're going to get this fixed.
3: Yeah. Well, he put a lot of it on uh, coaches, which, you know, obviously, you know, sure, you should do that as a coordinator. You should do that as a a coach. Um, But it kind of sounded like, you know, trying to put guys – or he wanted to, you know, have guys probably in better – you know, positions to make plays is kind of was what his stance was. Uh, I know he said going back to fundamentals, that was another thing that he said. Um, so I thought he said some things that were, you know, pretty on base. But at the same time, you know, when you see, when you see a team playing the way that they had played up to that point, um, it was a much improved, like I said, not perfect, but a much improved defense. And it just seemed like they kind of reverted back to old habits. Uh, I think Adam actually had, had the stat from uh from the last game. They missed 14 tackles against Georgia Tech, which would have been obviously by far the most that they had missed uh uh all year so far this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's something that you could, you know, kind of directly point to. Maybe not being in great um, you know, positioning, kind of stopping some of these guys. I think the thing that was just staggering, particularly against Virginia, and I know that, you know, obviously it was a while ago, but against Virginia, they were giving up big yards and big gains to guys that hadn't done anything all season. Uh, you know, and Georgia Tech was similar, but especially Virginia Tech. I mean, I mean, uh, not Virginia Tech, Virginia. Um, you had, I think it was three guys go over 60 yards and, and not even guys that, you know, were, uh, you know, tops in the ACC uh, even doing it. But uh, just kind of hearing um, Gene Shizik talk again, you know, trying to kind of shoulder the blame and, you know, kind of having it on, uh, you know, You know the coaching and and things like that uh i know tommy had asked about the uh the nickel and he you know pretty much like defended that aspect of it um i will say yes that they do have i guess kind of the fact that they have the star out there i guess that's kind of like where the where that comes from um i do kind of tend to agree a little bit more with uh kind of with Tommy and Jason on that of, you know, you, you know, they're running the ball, like kind of just, you know, jam it up in there um, particularly late in that game. Cause they, they had just been so effective with it um, early on, but I guess that's some of my takeaways from a, you know, from, Oh, and then I guess one last thing he was talking about evaluating what teams, you know, go-tos are, you know, as far as like, what, what areas do they try to exploit in UNC's defense? Maybe the more that they've played, you know, more games they've played, the more they've kind of shown certain vulnerabilities or, or whatever that might be. So, um, but yeah, I think you know, hearing him talk was certainly interesting. I know a lot of people uh, kind of wanted to hear uh, you know about that just based on the last two weeks, especially since the defense had been playing had been playing pretty well prior to that.
2: Greg, another question, and we'll get more into the the nuts and bolts of it with Jason because if folks are watching this that aren't inside carolina premium members and haven't watched jason's film breakdowns i'll sort of let jason riff on that a little bit because it it was some interesting film breakdowns this week from jason but greg have you seen a situation where and i know it happens but i feel like if i'm a coach and i know that mac pays attention i know that uh, other coaches pay attention to what their players say to the media um to what extent you know it depends on the coach but Chiswick was seemed caught off guard to hear what Cedric Gray had to say when he talked about them being lost, and Adam brought it up, and he was said I, I haven't heard that, and I don't I can't imagine a situation that they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Um, Gene basically said that, and then Adam showed it to him after, you know, showed him that he wasn't making it up. Um, that's what Cedric said. It just seems weird to me, Greg. Uh, I mean, you've done it a lot. You've been in these these press conferences. It seems weird that you have coaches not knowing what their players are talking about three days after the game. It seems like that's something you would address on Sunday, on Correction Day.
1: Yeah, and a couple things here. Um, One is after – think about it like this. I've always thought this was an interesting part of covering games is that Guys go out there and in football, they play their their hands off for three and a half hours. They're tired. Uh, you know, if you, you cover a game in Atlanta, you, you have to hustle down to the uh, weight room uh, and wait for the guys to come out. And when you lose a game, you don't want to talk to anybody and you kind of have to. And they're also rushing you along because you got to get on the bus and, and all these things. And it's really just kind of an awkward scenario where guys don't want to talk, they're tired. Um, and so sometimes you get quotes and you're like, whoa, is that being overly honest? Is that uh, just being tired and and not really you know, having the composure that maybe he typically would? So I think there's a lot of that that comes into play. And I think the other aspect of it is while Mike Brown is different because Mac clearly watches – Interviews, uh, always has. He wants to know your, how his players are, uh, how they act, how they present themselves. he also wants to know what they're saying, not just during game week, but in the off season, a lot of coaches are not like that. Larry Fedora was not like that. Butch Davis certainly was not like that. Um, there's been times when Hubert Davis has been asked questions about things this player said. And he's like, I yeah. don't you know. I'd, I'd, I'd have to hear that. But I, I haven't heard that yet. Um, and, and just to me speaks to kind of a, uh, compartmentalization that coaches go through during the course of the week and they really are just so locked in to the game plan and what they're doing that some of that stuff just kind of slips with the cracks um, I don't think it's anything more than that mm-hmm. and I'm not sure now that gene Shizik is a coordinator no longer head coach I don't know that really matters uh to him that much exactly what the players are saying um, as long as they're not out of line of course and as long as there's not problems in the locker room um, and I, you know, knowing Cedric Gray, I don't think that's an issue whatsoever. So I just think it's kind of one of those things that slip through the cracks.
2: Yeah, great color there from Greg, somebody that's covered the beat for years and years—not too terribly long, but a long time—and some clarification because I've had people ask me how do, how do they not know what their players are saying? Well, there you go. That that is part of the reason. Jeremiah, before I let you get out of here, I appreciate you taking a Thursday evening with us. Um, The title, I titled this show, What Needs to Happen? What Needs to Happen on Saturday versus Campbell? Um, Just in a nutshell, what needs to happen for you to think this this team made progress against a team that they should beat easily?
3: Yeah, well, I think just the, I think offensive play calling is one thing for me. Um, I think they did a good job at the beginning of the Georgia Tech game just running the ball, just giving Hampton the ball, allowing him to do what he does. I really didn't think they did a good job of that against Virginia. So I thought it was a good sign that they did so against Georgia Tech because Hampton's on a hot streak. He's literally, I mean, he's leading the league in, uh, in rushing yards and he's fourth nationally in rushing yards. So I thought that was good. Uh, but I also think in addition to that, um, the wide receiver availability is kind of in question right now. I know that they were looking at Tez Walker and Nate McCollum in practice. So it's kind of deja vu to the first couple of weeks of the season. We already know Kobe Pacewater, uh, you know, out indefinitely, still kind of out. Uh, maybe Tez has a chance to play. I'm not necessarily sure. Uh, I think I had heard, you know, that was something that, you know, had been floated out there uh, at a certain point. But what I think would be, I guess, an encouraging sign for, for North Carolina Uh, Can you get the young guys out there like Doc Chapman had a big play last week or two big plays last week, but one offensively, Um, can he get some more looks? Can you get some of these other younger guys in there? They've talked about some of those true freshman wide receivers in the past, getting them to learn some plays. I say, I mean, if you have the opportunity in the second half, third or fourth quarter, whatever can you get some of those younger guys in there just to see what you have uh, for down the line for in the future? Um, so I think that's something that, you know, would probably be the best tech way. I mean, cause you really, a lot of cases you can only learn so much against FCS opponents, unless obviously the team loses, which, you know, is maybe that's unfair, or whatever. Um, but seriously, you can only learn so much if they go in there and route Campbell. Uh, but you know, if, if some of those young guys can get in there, Show that they can run routes so they show that they can catch some balls. I think that would be probably the most encouraging sign for you and see. And also if they put themselves in that position to allow those younger guys to get in there and show what they can do.
2: Indeed, indeed, Jeremiah, I appreciate it. Jeremiah will join Joey Powell and myself or me or Joey and I. Not an English major. On uh I covered all the gamut. So, you know, if one was wrong, take the other one. Uh, on inside carolina live from the bowls lot 9 a.m it's going to be chilly at 9 a.m in the bowls lot and probably lonely out there so if you're in the bowls lot stop by say hey to jeremiah uh and joey and Evan will be out there as well should be a fun time jeremiah i appreciate you joining me okay, joining us yeah. and uh, i am bring okay. jason staples in here and let the old guys get to talking so cool, cool. appreciate enjoy it enjoy the week enjoy the uh, the rest of your evening my man
3: all right thank you see you jeremiah
2: jason staples gets in here and uh you know i had jason in the waiting room i I was had a trigger finger wanting to get you in but we got to keep all these ads and everything on the screen jason um, let's start from the top and work down Uh, give me aside from winning the game what's the number one thing you want to see from carolina on saturday I have done it 2 weeks in a row. I have made the man speechless.
0: Yeah. Um the biggest thing is I want to see dominance up front on defense. This isn't this is this is a lower level team. You are supposed to dominate that team up front. North Carolina has not dominated anybody up front since the South Carolina game they've had some success here and there against some of those those other teams but they have not dominated up front if they don't dominate Campbell up front and i'm talking about you know 8 9 plus tackles for loss type dominant and 3 and out type dominant then i think they should be dissatisfied with the performance
2: greg same thing for you i saw you shaking your head there yeah. i mean Campbell's got a little bit of talent, but let's be honest. Didn't reach, Richmond beat them by 30 last week?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we could start there if you want. I mean, if you look at uh, – Bill Connolly does SP Plus for everybody on the planet, which is crazy to me. That's what he does. It's great. Uh, Campbell's 47th at the FCS level in SP Plus. So, this is not even like a top 25 FCS team. So, um, anybody thinking this is going to be an upset? Uh, I mean, if it is, and I mean, just just pack pack all the coaches' bags and and kind of exit stage left, right? Every one of them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't is, think that's yes. going to be. I don't think that's going to be an issue. Uh, but I think Jason's exactly right. Look, the the issue with North Carolina, um, clearly, clearly the defense has kind of fallen off the last two weeks, kind of reverted back to what we saw against App State earlier in the year. Um, the offense hasn't been as good as they needed to be late in games the last two weeks. And look, the Carolina offense was fantastic last week. Uh, And and Matt kind of brought it up that, hey, they had a chance to win and didn't. That's right. And I know that's kind of dumping on the offense when it was really a defensive issue, but it was the truth. Um, And so from there, it's really what Jason just said. It's not just for me. It's not just dominating at the line of scrimmage on defense is offensively. Uh, I think if you go back to the 2021 game against Wofford, you what does everybody remember about that game? Not the Carolina won by 20, is that Carolina had first and goal at the 5 and then second and goal at the 1 and did not get in against Wofford. And I mean, are you surprised that they lost the next two games? No. So that, it, that's what it is for um for North Carolina To be able to close out this season the way they want and to be able to have a chance to get back to Charlotte for the ACC championship game, they have to be better up front, especially on defense but also on offense because I know the Duke-Wake game, I guess that's still tied 14-14. Duke doesn't have a quarterback at the moment. They're playing a third-string guy. But you know what Duke has? They have physicality in the trenches, and so they're going to be competitive. If Duke beats Carolina, it's not going to be because of their skill positions. It's going to be because they were more physical next week. And so, more than anything, Carolina has to be dominant, to use Jason's word, up front on both sides, and that is the number one goal this weekend.
2: Jason, you, you broke down the Georgia Tech tape, and quite frankly, um, yeah, I, I would not put that on my resume if I were anybody in blue on that field in, in what you showed there. But my question to you, and a couple questions are in the chat, and you know Drake May in the chat says, "What's happened to Miles Murphy? What's happened to Travis Shaw? What has happened to the defense the last two weeks? It is not a talent. Uh, uh, it's not like they were playing Clemson." Or, or some big team that were playing two of the bottom dwellers of the ACC, even though Georgia Tech's pretty good, and and they all have scholarships. What in the world happened overall the last two weeks?
0: Well, again, I think they, I think they just got the the physical stuff taken right to them on part of it, uh, up front. So, you know, this goes back to you remember this last week you asked. Uh, what it what what there was, you know, what is it about the Carolina about Carolina so far that has been sort of a weak a weak point or something that's been disappointing to this year? My answer was immediate. That I felt like the defensive tackle play had been pretty disappointing. Uh, uh compared to what the expectations might have been coming into the season, given a series of you know blue chip players now in their third, in one case, second year, but second, third, and fourth years. And they're not getting the production out of those positions that they've gotten, or that they should have gotten, that they should be getting. And they've played against a couple teams. They're not, they're not really, you know, excellent teams. But, you know, Virginia very nearly beat Miami last week. So, you know, there is a certain amount of Coastal's gonna Coastal even though there is no more coastal, right, the coastal's gonna coastal, and I think a lot of these teams are closer in terms of their overall level of play than uh than than is often appreciated and you know you and I had talked even before the virginia game we 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 had some some fears for about the about the Georgia Tech game because we felt that that team was was underrated, that they'd been better. On the year than people had realized. I mean, again, that that team was was with seven minutes to play was right in the ball game at Ole Miss, and that's a good Ole Miss team, right? So, and you know, they they uh, were also uptight on trying to remember who else the, Louisville. They should have beaten yeah, Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, they should have beaten Louisville. That's right. So, you know, that's a that's a football team that was dangerous, and we knew it. So you take that, you take you, you realize that, okay, those, those two teams are bottom feeders in the ACC for sure, but the, the bottom feeders are not quite as far away from the middle or even from the kind of second tier, third tier teams in the ACC as what you might think. And the thing that those teams brought to the table is both of them were really solid on the inside, on the offensive line. Both teams ultimately were able to push Carolina around up front and prevent any sort of real leakage in the running game. And they were able to, to establish what they wanted at the point of attack. That's what Virginia did. Virginia was able to do that against Miami, too, which is why they very nearly beat Miami. They were able to basically handle things in terms of the physicality of the game up front, were able to run the football and, and took that down to the wire. And then Georgia Tech, again, handled Carolina on the interior, And both teams also were creative in what they did to run the football, to, to get numbers in the box. And both teams knew that if they used certain formation and certain motions, that they could get some light boxes and that they could, you could see in a lot of what they were trying to do, they were trying to get their backs one-on-one with Carolina safeties, which is usually what teams try to do, but they were successful. A lot of the time in getting those matchups with their, their backs up against Carolina safeties and Carolina safeties have not really, uh, distinguished themselves tackling in those situations the last couple of weeks either. So to me, it's a, it's a total team thing on the defensive side from coaching, allowing yourself to kind of get formationed into some looks that are not, not the best. The interior of the defensive line, the edges gave up. So, the edges gave up more than I'd realized when I went back to the Georgia Tech game. I thought they they gave up more than uh, than they should have. A good bit more. A couple of the big plays are really on the edges for not spilling it. Uh, and then the safeties. I think there's been some issues there too. So it's not one thing. But by this stage of the year, we talked about it. By this stage of the year, you get into October. You get into early November, and the flaws of teams that were kind of being picked out a little bit earlier in the year, everybody's had a chance to see all that. And now you're going to start to see that, see that as primary stuff in game plans. You're also banged up. This is when you're going to start seeing, you know, things tighten up and, and teams get upset and all of that.
2: Yeah. If you can't survive in the interior, um, if, if you get whipped on the interior, it's, it's usually all over Greg, a lot of Can questions.
1: Have, yeah. I have a question for Jason on that front. All right, if we go back to to 2021, Carolina loses their last three games against FBS opponents. Last year, Carolina loses their last four games uh, against FBS opponents, and they've lost their last two games this year after getting out to a 6-0 start. Um, To your point you just made, as the season goes along, you start to understand what other teams do well and maybe what they don't do well. And quality coaching staffs can pick that apart and figure out what will work. Is there a trend here that North Carolina is behind the eight ball comparatively to their opponents in making the proper adjustments late in the year, or am I just reading too much into that?
0: I, I think you. I think you're right. Uh, I mean, th- you know, two points make a line. Three <laughs> makes a line segment. <laughs>
2: And I had not thought about 2021.
0: Yeah, you're getting now, uh, I think, a pretty definitive trend that Carolina has not looked good closing the last three years. And really, I mean, you could go back to, I mean, if it weren't for for COVID, 2020 is, you know, an interesting data point. There would be an interesting data point. But even in 2019, they didn't really finish the year on a, you know, on storm storm in the world, so I mean they had a good bowl win, but that was not a year where where you know the 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 final quarter was their strongest quarter. So yeah, I think that that's a factor, but I don't think it's just schematic. I do think there is probably some aspect of scheme and all of that. I think some of it is is you know last year I think some of it comes down to they had some pretty significant injuries that impacted a lot. Uh, and, you know, you look at the defensive line at the end of last year and, you know, of the four starters, three of them were guys that they didn't they didn't want starting at that stage of the year. So that's a factor. But I'm not sure it would have been that much different even if, even if they'd had the starters. So, you know, you have to give credit to that in terms of some of the personnel and some of the injuries and getting banged up and all that they've had. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, they've they've had a couple of other injuries and in some key spots as well. But everybody gets banged up at this time of year the thing that, that, and I've been kind of hesitant to say this because I know that this always becomes a, uh, a message board, you know, firestorm. As soon as Carolina loses, everybody wants to talk about, well, you know, do they need to fire the strength and conditioning staff? <laughs> right. I mean, it's always that, but uh, this is something I, I want your opinion on this too. I thought against Virginia that they looked slow. I thought against Virginia, they looked like they had heavy legs and, you know, just kind of sluggish. And there is an aspect to, there's an art to making sure that your team peaks at the right time of year physically. So it's not just scheme. It's a matter of, of workload and practice and workload across games to make sure that, you know, you don't basically shoot your shot in the first month or two of the season and, you know, the best teams are teams that that start out here and kind of maintain that. And then, you know, they, there's a taper process in terms of workload. And then you try to really peak toward the end of the season and play your best football and really look your fastest and freshest. And there's an art to that. And there's some science baked into it as well in terms of what you do in practice demands and for in terms of conditioning In terms of how you push your players and then you ease off on certain things you know sort of toward mid-october and all of that to let guys all of a sudden get their legs to bounce back and i wonder if carolina is just not doing a very good job of that and that not is not normally by the way from the strength staff i mean there is some aspect of back and forth from from that with the coaching staff and the strength staff but there is an aspect of load management and intensity and in practice that I I wonder, you know, I, it just seemed to me that Carolina the last couple of weeks has seemed um, has seemed sluggish and heavy-legged at, at certain positions, especially well, me, certain positions.
2: Let me ask you this, Jason, because we sort of talked about, um, you know, Carolina not being in game shape or, or they, they said they were tired or they looked tired against Georgia Tech. They were on the field five plays in the third quarter and they were gassed in the fourth. Um, you know, other than Cayman Rucker with what 80 snaps, I think everybody else was down low enough. So, so which is it though? Is it are they getting worn out in practice and, and they're struggling in games, or you know, where's that, where's that balance? I I, I think the sluggishness look comes from being lost because you play slow if you're if you're not sure where you're supposed to be or you're not sure what's going on or you're confused and so that's what that's what i think there but what's your thought on it as far as the dynamic between being tired late in the game when you shouldn't be versus being sluggish overall at this point in the season
0: yeah i actually want to hear greg's thoughts on this as well before i say much more but i think that's a potentially a, a really valid point in terms of the difference between you know being physically tired versus not because I think I felt like they've looked kind of sluggish from the opening snap. We're not talking about, you know, just fourth quarter troubles where, you know, they're fading out. I, I just think the last couple of weeks they've looked like they've not been able to play at, at, the, at the speed and, and intensity and um, the overall just, you know, hair on fire, as Buck would say, type, uh, type of, of game. And they've just kind of looked sluggish, looked heavy legged, looked, you know, like they're not, you know, not, not, uh, you're not getting a bunch of helmets to the football the way that, you know, I I would expect. I don't know what, I mean, I'm not in practice, so I can't really judge for sure whether this is a practice load thing. My impression from what, when we were there and we saw camp practices is that they shouldn't be just if the if the tempo is the same that it was in in the in those practices in camp they shouldn't be tired they shouldn't be worn out i mean that's not a that's not a high workload if anything maybe the workload wasn't high enough early on and you know they just didn't gain the the volume early to be able to do that but i don't know i'm I'm curious to 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 hear what you have to say on this greg a couple points i want to make number one is when you look at good football
1: teams, and, and really this extends across most sports, right? Basketball for sure. Uh, but games typically play out one of two ways. If a team's really good, uh, they come out hot out of the gates, build a big lead, and then kind of coast. Or they come out sluggish where they're not having their, their best game. And they kind of go through the motions and – most of the time they rally and at least make it close and most of the time win late it seems like it's relatively rare that what happened in the Florida State BC game for example happens where FSU builds this big lead and then here comes BC storming back in the fourth quarter and uh, you know FSU wins but the score looks close and you're like well they actually had a pretty big lead and they got close i don't feel like that happens very often
0: yeah, well, you um, also don't get teams that are dominating and then give up a, a scoop and score and and uh, then fumble a kickoff, uh, a squib kick, kick uh, a squib squib kickoff right following that all that often. So
1: right, yeah. right, and so you typically those those are kind of how things play out. Um, Carolina was a little bit different last week. Now, now Virginia, I really think Virginia was emotional. Um, I, I thought that was emotional fatigue. We thought – I think everybody thought Syracuse had a chance to be better than what they are. I mean, that team is just gone down hard. It's probably the worst team in the ACC right now.
0: It is the worst uh, team.
1: But that was that was an impressive win for North Carolina coming out of September to get to 5-0. and o. And then for them to really look good for three quarters against Miami, well, now you're thinking, all right, they're 6-0, they're top 10. Things are rolling. They got a night game at Keenan. And I just think there was so much emotional, um, I don't want to say baggage, but just just so much there that they were sluggish against Virginia and just could not get through it. And to Jason's earlier point, uh, Virginia you know, was efficient at North Carolina's weaknesses. And they were able to kind of rally late and, and win that game, steal it from North Carolina. Um, I felt like Georgia Tech was just something all together. I, mean, I thought the offense looked good. And yes, as we talked about earlier, you know, they had the chance to win the game late for the team. Uh, but the defense looked okay early. I mean, Carolina was up 14-zip, up 21-7. to seven. Everything was kind of clicking along. And then it just came apart at the seams. Um, and watching Jason's clips earlier this week of what happened to the defense. I mean, yes, yeah, some of it's schematic but a lot of it's just guys is kind of getting pushed around um and I don't know I don't know what to attribute that to I mean I don't think that was emotional I, I thought if anything the loss against Virginia would kind of pep them up and that they would be able to go down to Atlanta and take care of business uh, that's really a head scratcher to me and and the fact that it's hard to kind of pinpoint it I think raises some some concerns some alarms and I think we kind of heard that a little bit from gene um, mm-hmm. just kind of searching for answers. It seemed like at times in this conversation on Monday.
0: Yeah. I'm me- actually I, I want to build on that real quick because I, I do think in terms of what happened against Georgia tech, I, I think the, the easiest explanation for that is that Georgia tech had some playmakers with some real speed on the outside. And the, the re I think the key to the fourth quarter was the second quarter. You know, the, when, when Carolina gave up some big plays on the outside that was, you know, if you want to get Gene Chiswick going to five man box, looks and that sort of thing, get a few of those plays going, and all of a sudden it's going to be okay. We we better make sure we're protecting against the against that stuff in the passing game, and they they really did what they felt they needed to do to reduce some of those big plays in the passing game. And that's when you got, you know, five man box where you're going five on seven and you get gutted and, you know, then a safety's out of position and, you know, you give up a, what, 74 yarder or whatever it was. Uh, that's when, you know, you're, you're in, you're, you're in situations where I think they got in situations where they didn't believe that they could reliably single cover against those, uh, the, the against the speed that Georgia tech had outside And so I think Gene felt like, well, you know, you got to take that away first. And then Georgia Tech at that point was able to run sort of at will because Carolina doesn't have dudes at the defensive tackle spot that are just, you know, dominating. And the edges, I thought, played their worst game of the season. So I think that's why Gene seemed so sort of at a loss is, you know, and you could – you can almost hear in some of his answers uh him trying not to go all Deion Sanders on this. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't you've surely seen the clip of like
2: uh him talking about know, his OL. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah I what, need I got to go get some.
0: What's the answer? The answer, the answer, you know, go and get go and get new players on the offensive line. You got to <laughs> go get new players. Simple as that. And Gene, you know, you could kind of hear him like, look, we You got to defend the pass too. You can't just sell out to defend the run because, and you know, you could almost hear him like, well, we didn't do that very well. So, you know, I had to take that. So what are you going to, what are you going to get me for here? And you could kind of feel him trying to do that without tossing players under the bus to say like, we can't cover those guys. Mm. (laughs) So I think that was a big part of it. The place where I disagree with Gene is in that situation, especially late when you had a chance to try to get the ball back and all of that, then you say to hell with it. If if you are going to beat me, you're going to have to beat me one on one because I'm just not going to let you do what you've done here. Uh, when you start getting gashed with, in the run, you have to change back and say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna roll the dice with the single coverage. You have to, uh, especially with as well as some of the corners have played. So, you know, in other games, but um, but I, I thought he was trying to avoid kind of going full D on there.
2: Yeah, let me get – I've gotten enamored just sitting here listening to you guys talk about it, and I forgot to read Johnny T-Shirt. and mm. forgot to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. Certainly, uh, johnnytshirt.com helps you all that are not here in North Carolina not able to get to Chapel Hill. I mean, if you're in town for the Campbell game, it's an early one, so you might need to go to Johnny T-Shirt after the fact. But go see them on East Franklin Street. Get whatever you need for North Carolina athletics, North Carolina gear, stickers, Keychains, sweatshirts, and this type of weather, anything you possibly need at Johnny T shirt. They have sales all the time. If they have a sale, you can use your Inside Carolina 10% off if you're that premium subscriber and get that extra off your order. Uh, you know, one thing about premium subscriptions is if you haven't seen the Jason Staples films breakdown um, from the Georgia Tech game, I probably wouldn't watch it at this point. Don't eat before you. Eat. <laughs> don't don't watch it. Maybe I maybe a summertime view. Mean, that was, view. <laughs> that was uh, it was brutal, uh, but it is worth the price of admission, and you get that ten percent at Johnny T shirt. National guys pay the bills. It's the game plan. Carolina and camels on Saturday.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: All right, let's get back in here on this game plan stuff. And, Greg, I guess I'll come to you first. Um, To Jason's point on those film breakdowns, I think one key factor that I'm sure some people missed, you know, everybody who says fire defensive line coach, do this, do that. Um, But I felt like Jason pointed out, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, they were putting players in positions to do things that they cannot do. Or could not do and have not really had to do um, when they were running that nickel late. And I asked Adam asked the question about the nickel overall, and then I asked about the the fourth quarter and the last drive. And basically said, "We play nickel. It's what we do." <laughs> um, you know. And, and yes, he has. He talked about subtly talked about some shortcomings, but that's where the coaching aspect of it comes in to me. Um, where you put guys in position. To do things that they cannot do that especially at this point in the season that's that's the beef i have and, and what gets me on the poor coaching aspect versus the talent aspect you should know what your players can and cannot do at this point
0: yeah the tricky business is you know I, again uh, so what i'm going to try to do now is i'm going to try to to speak for gene Chiswick, if gene Chiswick was actually candid <laughs> Right. So, you know, I know, Greg, I know, you know, as well as anybody that what coaches say in press conferences is not what is necessarily going on in their head when that question is asked. Right. Um, How can I best not answer this question? Right. I mean, that really is the first thing that goes through most coaches heads whenever any question is answered. Or asked is how can I how can I answer this in a way that does not answer this question in any way, <laughs> shape, or form in the in the fashion that I would answer if this was off the record. So taken taken on jeans off the record persona, I think what he would say right now is, look, we've got some limitations personnel wise, such that in that in some of those situations it's just a it's not a matter of not putting players in posi- or not asking players to do things they can't do very well because there are enough players on the field that have enough things that they aren't doing well that it's just a matter of which players are you going to ask to do the things they don't do well because we don't have a choice to a- to a- but to ask some of our guys to do stuff that they're not doing well <laughs> and that they don't do well so you know, I'll uh, so uh, and and I'll go further. I will identify some of that. The safeties don't tackle well. The safeties don't trigger against the run, and they don't tackle well. They're not physical. When's the last stud safety that Carolina's
1: had, Tommy?
2: Dexter Reed. <laughs> when was that? Oh, the nineties. That was, yeah, uh, it was That was two thousand three.
1: two thousand three.
2: Yeah, I coached with
0: Dex actually. You know, I was on the same coaching staff and uh, for a couple of years with Dex and, and uh, coaching high school football. He's a great guy, by the way.
2: I mean, people um, say Trey Boston, but I don't uh, – Trey Boston, no, Boston was got not, good was not, in the pros. or, yeah, or he,
0: he was a better pro than he was a, a college player. Searcy. Uh, Searcy. Uh, yeah. I would say Searcy would probably be the, the best guy going back in college.
2: Charlie Brown could play. He was I mean, he's more he was of a nickel,
0: yeah. I would go with DeNorris first in terms of the the last really good safety – and, and, you know, the thing I'll give Trey Boston and the thing that, you know, Searcy would also bring, those guys would come up and hit you. Correct. Now, Boston wasn't always in the right place because he didn't learn to study until he got to the pros. Yeah. But when he was in his spot, there was no doubting his physicality.
2: Yeah. But if right? you had over under um, how long it took Georgia Tech to throw one over the top of Boston's head, Went, I mean, <laughs> Six one, plays. that one year, it was like one play, two plays, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yeah. to your point, when he arrived, he arrived with some thump.
0: Yeah, he, he played angry when he when he actually came down the hill against, yeah. against the run. And, you know, I don't want to throw guys under the bus, but I will call it like I see it. The, the When was the last time a North Carolina safety, and actually there's, with an exception, when was the last time one of the starters at safety for Carolina? Because I do think... Uh I do think State. one has had a couple plays where he's come up hard and, and has made a couple plays in against the run. But when was the last time one of the starting safeties came downhill and actually laid the lumber? Well, and that's
1: one of the reasons that that everybody was so excited about Curious Conley,
0: is that he brought that possibility. Yep. And that injury just killed him. Yeah, yep. this defense would be very different with a healthy Conley, because because of his ability to trigger, come downhill, and make a tackle in the box. I wouldn't have a problem with them being in nickel in that last situation. If you've got if the guy that's going to be filling on that weak side is a guy like that, if that's your safety and he's going to be the box safety, okay, fine, play nickel. <laughs> you got an extra bat. He's basically a linebacker. The problem is right now. Your starting safeties are not coming downhill and filling. Anytime they get their hands on the ball carrier, it's their hands and their arms. They're going, you know, they're being taken for a ride when, they, when they're there to begin with. And they're usually not there until, you know, two, three, four yards upfield. And if you're going to play a lot of quarters, that's a very safety-intensive defense. You're putting a lot of demands on your safeties. What, what they're asking them to do, they're playing a lot of cover seven. It's a hard defense on your safeties. You're asking a lot. And, you know, I think in, in general, in the passing game, they've been pretty decent. But in terms of the tackling and the physicality, I think the safeties have, have had some real lack. So that's been a factor. And that that's something that gets exposed when you get, you know, in situations where a team's able to run the football on you otherwise. Because the other thing is, the, the strength of the defense so far this year has been the corner play, by and large. Huzzy especially in uh, Marcus Allen, those guys have been really good. But against Georgia Tech, they both got beat a few times. So now if you're Gene Chiswick, you're going, well, you know, I feel like I can't just man up like I have so far this year to, to, to take some of that away. So I got to do some other stuff. And now you're going to ask defensive tackles to actually have to really hold their water in a lighter box situation. And the defensive tackles aren't good at that. So what do you do? Do you say, okay, well, my my corners have gotten beat some this game. I'm just going to roll the dice at the corners some to protect my defensive tackles. And I'm going to go a little bigger to protect my safeties. Look, there's too many guys ultimately that I have to protect if I'm Gene Chiswick in some of these situations once that once once my corners start getting beat. And I think that's what he would he would say is, you know, if I've got strengths on this defense. I feel real good about my backers and how they've played this year. I feel good about my edges, and I f- I felt good about my corners in every game except for the except for this Georgia Tech game. Yeah, so and- there you go.
1: Right. And the other part of this too, Tommy, to, to take it even a little bit more broad, is there's all the schematic elements that Jason's talking about, but those operate and exist within an overall philosophy. Um, you know, Roy Williams is a great example, right? of he's playing two bigs, and he's going to run. He's going to run secondary break. And when he when he has the pieces in place, uh, he's going to field one of the best teams in the country. But as everything kind of changed late in his career, and he started to see more of these stretch fours come into play, it made what he wanted to do much more difficult. And what did fans say? You got to change what you're doing. What do you want me And what did Roy say? He's like, forget you people. Like, this is what I do.
0: This is who I am. I've done this for 50 years.
1: Yeah. Um, And there's some of that in play here for Gene. I mean, look at this. If we go back 2015, Gene's first year in, in Chapel Hill. In the ACC, North Carolina ranked 13th out of 14 ACC teams in yards per carry allowed. 2016, Carolina ranked 10th in the ACC in yards per carry allowed. 2022, North Carolina ranked 13th in the ACC in yards per carry allowed. And this year, North Carolina ranks 11th in the ACC in yards per carry allowed. There's a lot of conversation about how you have to stop the run first. Every coach says it. Gene says it but the data and the information on hand since he's been at North Carolina (laughs) since 2015 says that's not the case. He is more concerned with getting beat over the top. He wants teams to slowly work their way down the field in hopes that they're going to make a mistake. In other words, what do we call it? Ben
2: cuts.
0: (laughs) Right. There's several phrases for it, right? Or not complimentary football with an explosive offense. That's what I would call it.
1: Well, that's, that's the other part of it too.
0: (laughs) You and I've gone, gone off on this off air. Might as well bring that on air now. for
1: Sure. But it's, that's what it is. And so it's not just a matter of Gene saying, oh yeah, well, we're just going to sell out to, to stop the run. I don't think he can physically or mentally do that because it's just
0: not in his DNA. Not once they, so he, they, they started doing that a little bit in the first half against Georgia tech. The moment he, they start to give up plays in the passing game, like they did, that's the moment where it's like, okay, we got it, we got to stop this. No, 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 we're <laughs> going back to no, 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 no this got to stop. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> but it's still none of that changes the fact. With two minutes and fifty-four seconds left, there was not a chance. Haynes King. It reminds me, and I'm going to bring up a Texas reference because I remember this game vividly. It was James Brown, quarterback for Texas, back in the <laughs> '90s, before. Before Mac got there, I think it was Coach Makovic. Texas had the ball at the end of the game. Everybody knew they were going to run. They were going to run. And whoever they were playing, it might have been Nebraska or somebody, they stacked the box. It was like 10 in the box. And it was third and five or whatever. And James Brown, act like he was going to run and threw a pass and completed a pass. They win the game. I'd rather have seen that on Saturday than seen what Gene Chizik allowed to happen by not switching it up i get the nickel you don't want to get beat over the top but when nobody no jason you said at your point in your thing it's like the why the, the three plays across the top on madden are all run up the middles The three plays on the bottom are all run up the middles they're not going to throw the ball and you're still in nickel <laughs> we're still playing prevent defense Put, I mean, put in
0: punt block man just do it <laughs> like you said on the day
2: after i mean that 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 is why it's all a bunch of bs i, I mean i get i get scheme i get uh, the way you do things i mean roy williams did that same thing and won national championship in 17 that's the issue with me jason is the lack of adaptability when you know what's
0: coming yeah, the bigger problem for me is the indication of we play nickel, meaning we've not really <laughs> done any, we've we've not really practiced anything else. Yeah. That's what that means. That's exactly right? that's what that, w- what that means is, look, we don't have other packages to go to go to when teams go heavy. We we just really haven't. We don't have that. That to me, look, if I'm if I'm NC State and I hear that, you know what I'm doing for the next couple of weeks. I'm figuring out, how can I run three tight ends all game?
2: And they'll do it. And just run down team downhill. like that will do it. Duke will do it.
0: Yeah, why? Because if I if I hear that and I'm like, they're a nickel team and their answer to this is nickel. Even when they went big, they're just going nickel. Okay, well, let's find out if they've even practiced other personnel.
1: Well, that that reminds me very vividly of a conversation I had with a staff member after the Russell athletic bowl in 2015, when Baylor they're still running for yards, I think I asked him "Was like, once they started making it clear, they were going to run the ball with a bunch of big guys. Could you not just change things up dramatically? (laughs) And his response was, what do you want us to do? Draw plays in the dirt. Meaning they did not have
0: any other, honestly, my my preference in certain cases yeah in, I mean, in that case my answer is steve Spurrier fly. did it <laughs>
2: sometimes
0: drawing. that is the only answer if you're going to give up 700 yards one way or the other you might as well do it drawing some plays up in the dirt yeah. and i know this is you know anathema to modern coaches for whom preparation is everything but that's my thing that's exactly my point here is if you are going to take that approach then that means you need to dedicate a certain amount of time every during camp and every week to some other packages. Now you've got you've got a goal line package already. Why? What, what I don't understand is okay, yeah, you're a nickel team. That's a goal line situation. It may be in the middle of the field, but that's goal line. Stick your goal line package out there, and I've seen it. You've got it. But this is one where the uh, the the thing that I want to see is. Okay, if let's say NC State does come out and they're in 12 personnel or 22 personnel or you know 13 personnel, so three tight ends or two tight ends or two tight ends and a back, two tight ends and two backs. If they go heavy or if Duke does that, because Duke will do it, if you're going to match in nickel, you're going to get beat. Which means to me, you'd better have some other options. You'd better have some options where, let's say, Amari Gaynor is on the field at Sam and now you're going bigger and you're going to you're going to crowd the line of scrimmage with five guys on the on the line of scrimmage and two backers and you're going to force them to to play against some bigger personnel or if you're not if you don't think that's going to work you go with a true five man defensive line you stick another defensive tackle on there you move one of your guys out you you you've got to have some other personnel packages and i understand they don't feel like they have a ton of personnel to do some of that stuff with but that's what you have to have. You have to have some of that ready for those situations where it's like, look, th- this is our only choice. Like there, there's, there's certain situations where in that, at the end of the game, the, the situation is you go three corners, one, one safety on the field and you stick an extra backer out there to make sure that, that you have a backer triggering downhill from that in the box position. And a lot of teams, a lot of people have wondered like, why do they call the nickel the star? you know what what's the star and money and all these other things the whole point of that terminology you call the what used to be the nickel the star because that's really the sam linebacker position and you call the the will linebacker the money because it's really it's all about what that guy does in the in the call not about the actual personnel and you want to be able to play a defensive back there in certain situations and you cross train defensive backs there for 6 db situations you want to be able to cross train a corner at 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 safety for certain situations. You want to be able to do some of that so that in these situations you're in position. If this guy, if they're if they're you know pushing it down our throat, they're if they're pounding the pounding the ball. I want to be able to say, okay, I'm taking my my nickel out of the star spot and I'm putting another guy in there who's really more of a an outside linebacker, or I'm taking that safety out. And I'm putting a backer there and I'm walking him up. And, and now he's, he's really just going to play the equivalent of a Sam on the other side. It's a rover. And you just play that rover and you're just going to play single high. And now you're in a different... You have to have some of that stuff in your system and you have to prepare it just in case you need it. So that you don't end up having to draw in the dirt later. You do this in camp. And then when you get later in the season, if you get to this, you, you know, you, if you have to call time out and say, Hey guys, remember when we did this six weeks ago, <laughs> this is what we're doing. You're going to line up there. And you know, if you need anything, if you, if you're not, if you're not sure, talk to Sed. make sure, make sure said tells you what your gap is, but you're going to do that. That's what you have to do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of old school in that respect. You've got to mm-hmm. move your personnel around to be
2: able to do this stuff. And who's the guy? Who's that number 3 that's from Florida State? He he seemed like he might have been a good option there in that star <sighs> late. I I I was that was where I was just sitting there going, "Really?" But well, we saw
1: that in training camp where he was running at linebacker as a third backer at times.
0: And again, that's why you do that. Yeah. So that in this situation you can make that sub. Mm-hmm. And
2: yeah. I'm uh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on game plan NC State and Duke right here just in a nutshell. NC State's going to run Brennan Armstrong in a Wildcat against North Carolina on the last day of the season. And they're <laughs> going to run the ball until Carolina stops it. Uh Duke's going to do the same thing with one of their quarterbacks next week and we'll see if it changes. So that gets me to this point. Now I got to talk about congruity. We're getting out of here. I am not spending an hour and a half on the game plan on, uh, you know, Carolina and Campbell, yeah. the camels, the fighting Roll camels. Helps. I've got Roll a, uh, I've got a Mike Minner signed helmet. I should have put it right here for that one, uh, but I'm going to talk about congruity because we're going to get to some predictions and what needs to happen on Saturday. But first, we're going to talk about what you need to do if you're a small business owner, North Carolina based, national coverage, personal presence, you know, local support, great customer service. Uh, customer service that's what Congruity does they manage the HR and the payroll aspect of your business they take care of your people so you can grow the business and they are obsessed like I said with customer service they become part of your team doing all that heavy lifting providing that essential admin support and they're a single point of contact for all those type needs if you're a business owner you know that payroll and and HR and and all that kind of stuff can be maddening. Congruity takes it all under their umbrella and takes care of it for you. So do this if you're a small business owner here on this Inside Carolina show listening. Go to CongruityHR.com slash Tar Fill out the form. Get a free assessment. And they will let you know what they can do. Darren and Matt and that crowd. Customer service, like I said. They're all about growing businesses. And they're North Carolina-based national team. So, that's your, that's your job, folks. If you listen to nothing I say, congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels and get it done with congruity. All right. I'm, I'm not going to ask for predictions because I really don't care what the score is. I will say if North Carolina gives up 21 points, uh, it's going to be a fun day after, Jason. Uh, but, Greg, what do you need to see on Saturday to, to – change the course of how you think this season is going to go? Uh,
1: unfortunately, Tommy, um, there's nothing really that I can see on Saturday that will change my opinion. Other other Man, than a that loss. Was,
0: that was going to be exactly my answer. To um, it.
1: Other than a loss, right? Um, look, Campbell, as I said, they're, they're 47th in, in SB plus at the FCS level. They are pretty good offensively. They're top 20. Um, Hajime Williams is a good quarterback uh, VJ Wilkins is a really good wide receiver they score 34 points a game uh, I think it's going to be you know a challenge for the defense in terms of it'll be a good opportunity for the defense to have to execute can the defense shut this team out yes but they are going to have to play better than they have the last two weeks for that to happen um, I think Drake May and, and North Carolina's offense can score pretty much as many points as they want um, you know, Campbell has 25 freshmen and 28 transfers in, which is just a crazy number. Uh, but I don't think that's really going to change things. Let me give you these numbers here. Campbell's last three games against FBS opponents, and they're 0-10 all time. Uh, last three games, though, in 2020, played Wake Forest, lost 66-14. Two years ago, they played Liberty, lost 48-7. to and last year, they went down to Greenville, and ECU was not good last year, and lost forty-nine to ten. So you didn't ask for a, you asked for a, an answer, and I didn't give you one. Then you didn't said you didn't want a score prediction, but I am going to give you that. I think <laughs> this is a game that North Carolina should handily win, you know, like fifty-six to seven.
2: So Jason, what's the point? What's the point of Saturday? I'll change the question on you.
0: You want the honest answer? <laughs> it's a money game. It's a game where you are bringing a sacrificial animal, in this case, a camel. A camel.
2: We like camels onto, too. They're cool. On
0: campus so that you can have an easy win, get as few players banged up or injured as possible, and move on. And you know, keep the keep the the fans who are in attendance and who watch as happy as possible with a good performance. That's real. That's the point. Is you know, you have to play. A, you have to play twelve games. <laughs> you you want to have one that is a, a guaranteed win, and you pay this team to come in and do that. That's the point. That's what this is about. I I fully agree with everything Greg said, down to even what the score should look like. I mean, it should be something like you know you know, 59 to 10, 59 to six, you know, something like that. Um, But I'm not sure they'll score quite that many in this game because I think, I think Carolina is going to run the football a bunch in this game and shorten it. So, you know, something probably closer to like 45 or 49 to six or something like that is what I would expect. Just because they're, I think it's going to be a a, a quicker game in, in that uh, area. One thing I will say is I do know they've got one, you know, pretty quick pass rusher. George is a guy that uh, should ring a bell to a lot of Carolina fans because he was a, a recruit that Carolina was in on for a while. Ended up going to Florida State, and he's got a couple sacks on the year as a as a transfer. Good, uh, a good pass rusher, a lot of length and all that. But the reason he's not, by the way, at Florida State is when he showed up as a freshman, he showed up at 189 pounds as a defensive end. <laughs> and I think he left there at like 205. So, you know, that's what you're looking at in terms of defensive line for Campbell. They've got some size inside, but they've this is a team that you should be able to run the football on. And, you know, be able to push around up front a good bit. So, you know, I think that's what they're going to do. The purpose of this is basically to, to be able to run what you run and clean up any mistakes. Try to get young players on the field as, as early as you can. Or at least, you know, I know Mac tends to like to wait until the fourth quarter at that. But this is one of those games where if you can, you're getting those guys in like second drive of the third quarter to try to get them some opportunities with the with the lights on. That's what this is about. And I think that's that's as much as you can expect. If you don't play, if you don't see that, then that's a serious problem.
2: Yeah, North Carolina and Campbell at noon in Keenan Stadium. Couple programming notes, Timmy Ann. I see you in the chat. I'm gonna reference it. Carolina, Duke in field hockey tomorrow night at seven o'clock. That's Friday night at seven o'clock. It's Timmy worth Ann's watching. A super fan. She is absolutely that, and she's keeping us all straight in there. Duke and Carolina, one and two seeds in the ACC tournament. Erin Mattson going for her first ACC championship as coach. It would be her sixth overall. As a Carolina person, somebody said, "Why is the field hockey team not as good as they were?" And I was like, first of all, they're they're tops of the ACC, and Aaron Matson's not playing. It's it's significant. <laughs> um, also, the day after Campbell game will be at 8 a.m. on Sunday um, to appease Jason, but also to get me to skydiving at noon in Southport. Yeah, you want to go with me, me Jason, this, one, this time?"
0: Don't blame me on this
2: one this time. Yeah, I requested it so I could get in, jump out of a plane. Perfectly good plane I'm going to jump out of Sunday at noon. It's a blast. Yeah, but if, if I'm not back on Tuesday, it, it didn't go well. Um, <laughs> so uh, wish us the best. Greg Barnes, you and I will talk maybe a next level guest next week. And also Joey Powell and myself inside Carolina Live from the Bowls lot at 9 a.m. 9 to 11, it's going to be Moses and Bojangles' bistics tailgate. So everybody stop by and say, hey, if you like. That uh, was a
0: huge win for Carolina golf, by the way. That was that was big time. She's mm-hmm. good
2: gracious, we got all sorts of stuff. That's one thing about North Carolina that's cool is you can follow the football team, you can follow the basketball team, but if you miss all the rest of the sports, you're missing out because they're some of the greatest athletes in college and in the world walking around Have, have either of you
0: guys played the new re- uh, renovated uh... – golf course
2: mm-hmm. not yet let's, let's do it and we got just
0: open that was one of my favorite courses in america before they before they renovated it so i was kind of shedding a tear when i found out that they were tearing it up but well i heard they don't let left-handers
2: play they don't let left-handed people play out there does <laughs> is that get rid of greg jason are you left-handed too i'm not oh phew. greg you can play right-handed i might have a chance
1: i can i could try
0: <laughs>
2: I let's go watch
1: an exciting uh duke wake forest game guys
2: yeah, I've I thought it was – Did
0: you see the uh, – the the uh, just a little bit ago that uh, Cal- Jalen Calhoun at his third drop of the night dropped a, a sure touchdown. They still scored on the drive, but, man, he's having a rough night. 21-21, yeah. yeah.
2: right? It's 21, so Virginia 21. night. All right, fellas, we're getting out of here. Shout-out to Congruity. Shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt. Shout-out to Greg and Jason for joining me on the game plan. I'm Tommy Ashley. It's been Inside Carolina podcast analysis all the good stuff so check out the content over at inside carolina.com and see everybody saturday thanks guys tommy it's been nice knowing
0: you oh wait i guess i guess i get to say that after on eight o'clock on sunday say it on
2: sunday I'm a little yeah. premature. about 8 15 on sunday because it's gonna be a shorty greg take <laughs> care keep this man straight
1: all right guys good night